to you, but when I'm writing a message, the Lord will speak to me and just sometimes the message that I'm writing will not be the message I'm preaching. And there are times when you just, you're praying and you're, you're preparing and you're supposed to do that, be faithful in your preparation and prayer. And then it comes time to preach and sometimes the Lord will just do something in your heart. And tonight, I just did not think we could deal with this passage from the book of 1 Peter without taking communion. And if you're like Pastor Rick, and if you're like John Anna, you're going to say to me, well, we're taking communion Sunday morning. Well, it ain't going to hurt you to take it twice this week. <laughs> okay? Take that from your pastor. It's not going to hurt you to take it twice. Matter of fact, if you're like me, it might do you good to take it two times this week. But um, I want to take you to the book of 1 Peter this evening and read to you the word of the Lord. But I also want to share with you, I'm sure maybe you, you got our email today and text messages that um, Marcella Begman went home to be with the Lord today. And there's never a time when somebody in our church family departs and goes to heaven that I don't feel that very, very deeply. And those are not just words. It is just so true. And um, praying with Marcella, praying with Marcella's family after she went to heaven, I thought this, this is going to be a funeral of love and grief, but this is a lady that lived her life well for the glory of God. And I don't know how many of you knew her, but um, she just was a godly, godly woman. And I told the family today, I said, and this is true, I've never heard one cross word. They've always been words of blessings that come out of Marcella's mouth, always. And then today, they told me, you haven't been to a baseball game with her. <laughs> so we know she was human, and now she's, she's with the Lord. But be praying for Daryl Lynn and... And after I meet with the family, we'll get you more information about the funeral. So stand with me, if you would, tonight, out of respect for the word of the Lord. I want to talk to you about what Peter writes here, love deeply, love one another deeply and sincerely. And some of you are going to go, well, Pastor, this is where you left off in November. It is, and I don't know if you remember, but I said we'd come right back to this passage because there's more here than could be dealt with. And so tonight, we're going to read, and uh, if you have the Bibles that you're taking notes in that um, we made available to you, you may want to follow along with that, and then I'll be using the New Living Translation as I just break it open tonight. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. Now, that word earnestly you need to pay attention to that word. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. But that's a, that's a fascinating and an interesting word. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its flower, glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news or the gospel that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. 
like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. How many of you know the Lord is good tonight? I believe that about you. You wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we do come in with joy in our hearts, but we come in with grief as well. And that's okay. For we are not people that grieve without hope. We have a hope and a blessed assurance. We have a confidence that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so, Jesus, we pray for Daryl Lynn and her family, for Mark and his family, Lord. We pray for the children and grandchildren and those small ones, Lord. We just ask you that you would bring this family, oh God, the healing comfort and peace of the Lord. Marcella went home, dearly beloved by her church family, but especially, Lord, by her natural family. And now tonight, as we just come to this, I just can't help but feel that this is a prophetic moment for us on the day that such a dear woman has went into the presence of the Lord, that we come together not knowing what would transpire before this day ended. But we come together to look at your word about what the gospel should do to us, making us love one another deeply and sincerely. So prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table together, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. We've talked a lot about holiness so far in this series of messages. We've talked about some very practical things, but tonight it's like Peter is going to set the plow just a little bit deeper as he goes into chapter two. And sometimes, and I didn't know this growing up, but sometimes it's unfortunate that we have the chapter verses and the chapter breaks that we have because some of them fall in some inconvenient places and break up a flow of thought. And that's the reason that I wanted to start with chapter 1, verse 22, and end with verse, chapter 2, verse 3, because there's a complete thought. There were times when Daddy would say to me, stop the tractor, and he would come back and he would adjust the plow and set it just a little bit deeper because he wanted to, to get deeper. Maybe we had some hard pan that needed to be broke up, as he called it. And so it's like Peter is just under the inspiration and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He stopped and he's raised up the plow. He's lowered it a little bit. And now he's going to plow just a little bit deeper. And he's going to tell us how God sharpens our character, how God grows us in holiness, and how we can become as we've talked about in this series already, we can become more Christ-like. We will never be gods, and that's not our goal, but our goal is to live godly lives that are pleasing to the Lord and are light to the world. He's also gonna talk about this in such a way that when you read this, you're gonna to come to the conclusion that to love one another the way Peter is going to describe this love in the Bible well, it's impossible. I mean, 
It's good that we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. It's good that people admire Jesus and haven't been born again. I have Muslim friends. They deeply admire Jesus Christ. I have Jewish friends. They deeply admire the teachings of Jesus Christ. I have Hindu friends who've told me they deeply admire Jesus Christ. I've flown with atheists who have told me once they found out I was a pastor how much they love Jesus Christ's teachings. And it's good that his teachings are so universally available. But once you read this tonight, and as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, you see that it's not enough to know the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus never said his teachings would save us. Jesus never said that the Bible would save us. It's impossible to love the way that God is describing that we would love one another in this chapter unless, first of all, we're born again. That supernatural life that comes into us upon our confession of faith in Jesus Christ, sincerely, that confession of faith and that transformational process that takes place in us. It's not necessarily sequential. I love checklists, and some of you have told me you love checklists. If, if that's you, if you love checklists, can I see your hand tonight? Because you see your progress. And growing up in a fundamentalist background, I, I love checklists because if I did this, I did this, I did that, then that meant I was pleasing to God. If you read my blog last night, you got a little bit of that. But there's no such thing as a sequential trans checklist. It's more of a transformational experience where the life of God runs through you like a bolt of lightning and all of your old sinful self is dead and you become a new creation in Christ. There's a new life living in you. There's a new life living in me, but there is a power at war within me that Paul writes about. And it's that power of sin that you and I deal with. So when I read this and I meditate upon it deeply and I don't just do the checklist that in my annual Bible reading, I've gotten through 1 Peter, but I stop and I look at this deeply. I come to the conclusion one more time, God, there is no hope unless you do this work in me. More than ever, I believe it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, knowing that I am utterly incapable of doing this, I want to look at this and help you see what God says. As a passionate follower of Christ, I am to learn how to love you, and you're to learn how to love me and every other Christian as your own family. As your own family, as your own son or daughter or mother or father. Jesus one time said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? And it sounds very caustic because his mother and his brothers are outside to get him. And he looks and he says, those who do the will of my father, that's my brothers, that's my sister, that's my mother. In other words, we are family. Today I was praying with one of my prayer partners. He was asking me about my trip home for Christmas. And I said, you know, I experienced something that just came kind of as a, and I, some of you, I know you're from out of town as well, but it just came as a aha moment for me. And I'm not sure I fully processed this. I talked to Becky some about it, but I, I had dinner with friends. I was with family. 
But as I walked into stores and restaurants, I don't know anybody anymore. I've been here 21 years ago. I became pastor of this church. And, and I go to church and I look around the church and there are very few people in the church that we worship with and, anymore. The lady who babysat our children is 98 years old and she still remembers me. May I have that same gift when I become 98 years old. And I, I, I walk around and then I, I told Becky, I said, do you realize our children all come, all live out of town. Uh, only our mothers and one sister lives in town. My, one of my sisters lives in town. And I said, Becky, it's an unusual feeling because a man should never forget his anchor. If you forget your anchor, you're going to drift. If you forget where you're from and the people who loved you and reared you and cared for you and prayed for you, you're going to drift. So I have never forgot my anchor. Now I realize after 21 years, my deepest friendships and the people I know in the community and do life with, they're here and we're coming back. And I said to her, I'm still not a Michigander. I said, I just, you know, I'm a Georgia Bulldog. And Becky says, you'll get over it. No, I won't. The point is, as I told her, I says, my family meets me every Sunday at 24101 Van Horn. Then when I walk into this church, I feel like I've come home. When I walk into this church and I'm with you and I hug your neck on Sunday mornings, whether I'm preaching or not preaching, I'm with family, I'm at home. And I, I, I think what I'm trying to say to you and, and try to hear this pastor's heart, because I've been deeply moved by this tonight, I have discovered, and I've told you before, I think about my life in decades, but I look back and 10 years later, I feel a lot different about a lot of things. And sometimes I look at my 10 year younger self and I go, I was so stupid then. And then I look at my 40 year younger self, I was so stupid then. And this Christmas holiday, there were family members saying, Aunt Becky, tell us this story about Uncle Dennis again, you know? And so we have to live those stories of when we were dating or when we were in our 20s. And I know you never have to do that, but we're living those, and they're laughing and they saying, Uncle Dennis, you really didn't do that. And then my mother would launch into it. And I realized over the decades, and I asked myself in my question in my journal today, well, I look back when I'm 74 and go, I was so stupid at 64. <laughs> but as I pondered that, there's one thing that hasn't changed. There is one stable thing in my life that has kept me on course. And that's an utter confidence in the Word of God. That's an utter confidence in the Holy Spirit's work in our lives knowing that he will lead us and guide us. And I may look back indeed at 64 and go, DC, you were so stupid. But I will also look back and say, God was faithful. And you see, that brings me to this point. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Love each other deeply. The word is earnestly. It's, it's an exercise word. That's what it means. It actually, it means to exercise. I mean, I am to exercise my love for you, Sharon. I'm going to exercise my love for you tonight. I, I am to, Adam, I'm to exercise. 
And, and here's the thing about exercise. I was talking to Becky this afternoon. Becky is not well, and she's at home. So I went home and sat by the bed and ate a bowl of soup with her. And, and I was telling her what I was going to be preaching tonight. And I said, you know, have you ever noticed that the more you exercise, the more you want to exercise? But after a really, really good workout, you just feel like you can't hardly move sometimes. And at 64, there are things that ache that I didn't know that I even possessed in my body after I exercise. There are places that I ache. But here's the thing. The more you exercise, the more you want to exercise. But after I've gone away for a couple of weeks and I've not exercised, I don't want to exercise anymore. As a matter of fact, I don't want to get up early in the morning and go to the recumbent bicycle. I don't want to get up early in the morning and go to the Nordic track. I wake up and I think, I don't have to do that. And yet, if I don't exercise, I'll get weaker and I'll get weaker and I'll get weaker. But conversely, listen, if I exercise when I get done, if I exercise well, if I exercise well, I'm weak when I get done exercising. Sometimes I'll come upstairs and my hands are trembling and I'll drink something real quick to kind of, you know, get some quick nutrition back in my body. I'll shower up. I'll drink a couple of cups of coffee and get everything percolating again. And, and that's what happens in the church. Because to love each other as family means that we really have to work that love. Because love can be exhausting. Love can be exercising. Love for the unlovely can especially be exhausting, especially if they're a brother or sister in Christ. Love for the unlovely and for the one. I mean, there was a reason that the apostle wrote and it's left recorded for us as the word of God. As much as is possible, get along, be at peace with one another. Because there are some people that are just like sandpaper to you. But you're to love them, right? I mean, you don't want to get close to them because they're a porcupine. And then there are other people, they're just easy to love. Marcella Begman was one of those easy to love. And so as I look at this, this kind of love is only possible through the new birth. Because this is not the way the world loves. It's not the kind of agape love that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For, Paul said, for Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, you have been born again. Why can you love each other deeply? Because you've been born again. Now, don't miss that. That's important. Tonight, when we take this communion together as believers, we're not only once again observing the Lord's death until he comes we're not only discerning, as the Apostle Paul says, the Lord's body and his blood. We are saying to one another, you are family to me. Recently, a friend of mine who is a missionary from Georgia in Jerusalem, I've told you a little bit about his story before. He was the man that went in to share the gospel and the good news in a small South Georgia town and because he reached out to everybody, blacks and whites, and because he was a Pentecostal, they decided to boycott. The businesses in town decided to boycott, and the politicians in that little small town tried to run him out of town, but built a great church. 
reached a little boy in a housing project, a little black boy in a housing project. Those mother was a drug addict and there was no father around and we took him into our camps. Becky and I had him in our camps and took care of him in the summer and turned out while he was working with me in camp, he was one of the brightest young men I'd ever known. He got a scholarship that somebody paid for for him to go to university. And while he was in University of Georgia, he graduated and then went to Augusta Medical College and today is a physician in Georgia. You never underestimate the power of the gospel. And you never underestimate what so-called religious people can do. Because if they don't love like this, they've not been born again. Now listen to me. If we don't love one another deeply, We've not been born again. Let me say it one more time. If we don't love one another deeply, we've not been born again. You say, Pastor, how does this happen? Well, it's only possible as you grow spiritually. If you've been born again, you can put that up. It's only possible through spiritual growth. If you've been born again, you will grow. <laughs> okay? I mean, not all of us are going to grow to that. We all have a little bit of different DNA, but you will grow if you've been born again. You won't remain a babe. If you remain a babe 20 years from now, I question whether you've been born again. It's not just a matter of laziness. It's a matter that that bolt of lightning of God's life is in you. God takes the deserts and make them blossom. God takes the dry places and make them bloom. God causes us to be fruitful. I can testify to you that God will cause us to learn to grow with one another. But the good news is, look at me, the good news, this kind of love is inevitable with spiritual growth. You will grow if you've been born again. And this kind of sincere exercising love, it is inevitable when you've been born again. You will love one another deeply. You will draw closer to one another. You will, in honor, prefer your brother or prefer your sister. You will want to do unto others as, they, as, as you would have them do unto you. You will love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you will love others as you love yourself. You may not do it perfectly because we're still growing. 10 years from now, I may look back on my 64-year-old 64 self, self and say, you were so stupid. But 10 years from now, can I share some good news with you that made me jump up from my chair today and lift my hands? <laughs> 10 years from now, I'm gonna still be growing. Do you see what I'm saying? I am claiming the blessing of Moses. I want to be 120 years old and have the eyesight of a 20-year-old man and the same strength. that I want to be growing in Christ. I don't have that now, so I've got a lot of growing to do. <laughs> but that's the point. I mean, Moses stayed close to God. And if Moses in the, Abraham, in the Old Testament stayed close to God, how much better a covenant do you and I live under? Look at what Peter writes as he... Now, his point, his point is driving to this verse right here. This verse is what he's driving for. It's, he, he set us up on holiness. He tells us, he uses a, a physical word about exercise, love one another earnestly. Some versions use sincerely. Uh, 
So he says, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all, excuse me, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a, what kind of experience? Say it again, a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. For years, I have told you over and over for two decades, there is more to this thing called Christianity than what we've experienced yet. And each and every day, it's my desire, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to love you better. I want to serve you better. In the 70s, when I committed my life to Jesus, there was a little praise course I want to know you more, much more than I do. I want to love you more, much more than I do. I want to serve you. I want to seek you. And he just kept going better and better. I've never gotten away from that. There's more. And so he's calling out to us tonight. You will grow into this full. You will grow. Underline that in your outline. You will grow if what? You're done with deceit, evil behavior, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech, and you crave pure spiritual milk. I don't think there's a single person here that wants to be a hypocrite. I didn't see the Golden Globes. I don't watch those, I have no interest in those. But I do read the newspaper. And evidently Ricky Gervais, is that how you say his name? He upset a lot of people at the Golden Globes because he called out the hypocrisy of the actors and the actresses and the industries. And I thought it was so interesting reading some of the things, and I'm not here to celebrate Gervais, but one of the things that the article that I was reading, he said was, it's a hypocritical thing when the best looking people and the best paid people are telling the rest of the world to do something you're not doing yourselves. And I thought, well, Originally, the word hypocrite wasn't a bad word. Hypocrite means actor. If you were a hypocrite, that meant you were an actor. Maybe you worked for Shakespeare. Maybe you worked for the theaters in Greece. But in the New Testament times, it became used for people who all all of us want to present ourselves better than what we are. And that's why I say to you from time to time, The pulpit always makes me look better than what I am. It's why I said to you a few weeks ago, if you could see in my heart, you would never want to have a cup of coffee with me. But before, if you weren't here and you look so holy, if we could see in your heart, we wouldn't want to have a cup of coffee with you either. That's the power of sin that we've been delivered from, but that we wrestle with. See, Pastor, how do you know? Because godly men and women talk to me all the time about the things they struggle with. And why, Pastor? And we just have to go through the word. And they have to make a choice. It's not always lustful people or, or angry people or hateful people or prejudiced people, but just these things. But why does he say this? Let's back up. You don't have to put the scriptures back up, but let me just read them. He says this because 
He wants you to love each other like family, love one another deeply, exercise that love. And you're going to get tired from time to time. If you're a small group leader, you're going to get tired from time to time having people in your home all the time, cleaning up, getting ready for everybody, cooking for everybody. You know, or, or maybe you're going to get tired of being the one that, that's always called for the funeral dinner. Are you going to be tired of someone calling you all the time for prayer? Why don't they just grow up? Don't raise your hand. But a lot of you are nodding in here tonight. You know what I'm talking about. It's the same thing with a child. Why? 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 Until finally you just do the thing you said you would never do. Because I said so. You said you'd never do that. So did I. And it felt so good to say it. You raise the teenager who continually badgers and you have to haul those boundaries or you get into a marriage or you get into a job. He says, you're to love them deeply. Why? Because you've been born again. There's new life surging through you. So get rid of all of these things. What he's saying here, based upon the negative character qualities that he's given, that when people violate me or when people violate you, when they persecute you or if they gossip about you or if they hurt you, you've got three choices, basically three choices. And you could play with this if you want, but basically there are three choices. Number one, you could go after them and hurt them because you hate them. They've hurt you. They've violated you. You're going to get vengeance. You're going to make them wish. You're going to make them pay. And that's the way of the world. You hear it between our president and the Ayatollah in Iran right now. In Vietnam, we call that, does anybody remember the word? Escalation. You know, Walter Cronkite would say at night, and tonight the war escalated. The United States dropped this. Tonight the war escalated as the Viet Cong responded. It's that principle of of you go, I hate you, I'm going to hurt you, or else you don't do anything about it and you repress it and you suppress it inside, but inside you are so bitter, you wouldn't walk across the street to help them. I had breakfast with a man who wanted to talk to me and the only time he could meet with me was for an early morning breakfast. And he told me about another believer who had hurt him. The believer hadn't stolen from him. The believer hadn't, you know, messed with his family or his wife or it was bad, but it wasn't the cause for the kind of anger. And I said, have you confronted him? No, I wouldn't walk across the street to talk to him. And I watched his face just turn redder and redder in his anger. And I finally said, well, why are you puking all over me then? I said, you're being eat up with rage and bitterness. And that's the way a lot of people respond when they've been violated. Had he been hurt? Yes. Had he been wounded? Yes. But it's that seed of bitterness that the devil will use 
to break up friendships and marriages and churches and business partnerships and corporations. It's that seed of bitterness that will divide a nation. It's that seed of bitterness that will divide a community. Because on the outside, we want to project a placidness. It does not exist on the inside. And so the third choice I have is to go after them and seek reconciliation and love them. That's what Jesus does. He leaves the 99 sheep and he goes and finds the one sheep that has wandered away. Does that make sense? That's why Jesus is so careful to say to us, forgive one another, love. If you want your fathers to hear your prayers, forgive one another. Now, you can't always reconcile with people. Some people will not be reconciled with. I've had that happen. They just will not. But what you want to do, look at me, not as a checklist, but as transformation. And sometimes, now this is where it gets just a little difficult, and I'm almost out of time because I want us to take communion together. But, but so listen, sometimes you have to check that box even though you don't feel like checking that box because it's in the act of obedience that your transformation takes place. It's in the act of faith and giving that you become generous. It's in the act of faith, the forgiving, when there's no reconciliation, that you become a more peaceable person. It's in the act of sharing your faith when you're scared spitless that all of a sudden you soon find out it's just a lifestyle to share you. It's that first step. Draw near to me, the book of Hebrews says. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. If you take the first step, God will run towards you in this life transfer. The life's in you. The life's in you. Now, because I'm almost out of time, and Mark, if you'll come onto the keyboard, dear brother, there are a couple of things I do want to say. Number one, turning the other cheek doesn't mean allowing other people to walk all over you. That is not what Jesus taught. I used to think that. As a matter of fact, as a young person, I thought that. I had to teach my boys this. Turning the other cheek in no way means that you allow people to walk all over you. Justice is a value upheld in the Bible. We have three or four police officers in this church now. I pray over them almost daily because justice is a value. We have people in the legal professions in our congregation. We have people in, that are in local politics in our congregation. Justice is a part. When I've been violated and there is no reconciliation, then I want the protection that's afforded me. Don't you? Sure you do. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul one time he called out. Listen. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul, slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? I mean, he called Ananias out, right? Everybody, when they may have been intimidated by Ananias, but when he broke the law, the biblical law, the Old Testament law, Paul called him out. But it's very interesting, and I don't have time for it, but that next verse, 
They said, how dare you speak to the high priest like that? And he says, I didn't realize he was the high priest. But he still called him out. Paul appeals to Caesar. If I've done anything worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, no one has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Turning the cheek doesn't mean you let other people walk all over you. And then Jesus, Jesus said, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Didn't change, but those are the examples left for us. Turning the other cheek, we don't return evil for evil. That's what we refuse to do. But we just don't let people walk all over us. So there are three tests for my faith. Doctrinal tests that we've looked at so far. A confession that Jesus is Lord. But now look at me I've just, as I go through this. Just to say Jesus is Lord is not enough. That doesn't mean you're saved. Even the devils believe that. Even the demons of hell. What have we to do with the Jesus of Nazareth? Lord, don't cast us into the abyss, the demons said. Cast us into these. I mean, the demons, the devil himself knows that Jesus is Lord. But you've got to begin there. If you don't believe Jesus is Lord, you've not been born again. The moral purity test. I mean, it's all through the Bible, right? But I know a lot of people who are just moral by their nature. I mean, they're kind. They're sweet. They're law-abiding. They're in my subdivision. I like them a lot. They don't see their need for salvation yet. But they're moral people. I trust them. You know people like that. There's some people just by nature, they're, we say it down south like this, they're just good folk. They're just good people. The real test is a social test. Because if I've been born again, I'm not a cold-hearted, theologically correct Christian that could care less whether you go to hell or not. I'm not a moral person that wouldn't steal from you, but I wouldn't walk across the street to help you. That says I'm not a Christian. The social test is that when I was cleansed from my sins and I obeyed the truth, so now I must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other earnestly, deeply, until you give out with all your heart. And so when we get ready to take communion here, the gospel simply means that Dennis Clanton is a sinner, but I am loved and I am accepted by grace. And though Jesus never called you a sinner, the gospel means that you are a sinner. But you're loved and you're accepted. How many of you remember, I used to say this a lot. Everybody walks through the doors of this church, there's two questions written on their forehead. If you remember it, say it with me. Will you love me and will you accept me? One more time. Will you love me and will you accept me? That's the question everybody's walking in. It's not about our music. It's not about our sanctuary, but will you love me? Will you accept me? So here's my growth work. Number one, my love's got to be sincere. Where are you exercising your love? Where are you involved in ministry at? 
because all of us are called to have a ministry. All of us are called to be involved with other people's lives. The easiest thing in the world is to live for me, myself, and I, or just me and my family, and to make an idol out of our lifestyle. But where are you involved in ministry and serving? We say, Pastor, I can't get out and go anymore, but you can be an intercessor. You can pray. You say, Pastor, I, I don't really have any talents. You can put a DVD in your television and host a small group in your home. Your home doesn't have to be immaculate. You can go and feed the hungry. You can volunteer. Somebody's got to be raised up to take Fred Schaff's place in the, in the benevolence ministry. Somebody's got to be raised up to take Marcella Beckman's place in the ministry. All of us have a place where we can love others. Some are really good on the platform, like Pastor Mark and all the musicians. You see them a lot, but they're no more important, and I'm no more important than the person who kneels as an intercessor or the person who serves on the green team or the person who works on the roof. We need everybody in the body of Christ because it's your way of loving. Secondly, my love must be deep. And I'll try to talk about this a little more next week. Love each other deeply with your whole heart. So before we take communion, Pastor Rick, if you and Larry are helping me tonight with the communion, would you stand with me and read this verse? Go ahead and put Matthew eleven twenty five up. But when you were praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father will forgive your sins too. Would you pray that out loud with me? But when you were praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Now just wait quietly in His presence. Who has violated you or hurt you? That tonight you can pray for good in their life. Tonight, it may be checking off a box, but it's the first step towards transformation. You can ask God to bless them. You can forgive them. And to forgive just means to simply let it go. See, Pastor, I've done that in the past. Just let it go again. Today, a man told me that I've been praying with for three years about something. He said, Pastor, God answered my prayer this week. God helped me to let it go. Sometimes you just have to keep letting it go. Hallelujah. If anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer 
is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. Can we see amen? I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. Amen? I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you've won your battle with the evil one. Amen? <laughs> you've been born again. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. Amen? And I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. Amen. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. Amen. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. I thank you. I thank you for the power of the gospel. I thank you for the gift of the life and blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you for your resurrection and the sending of your Holy Spirit. For that bolt of lightning power from heaven, your very presence coursing through our lives. We have died to ourselves. We have died to sin. And now we're alive in Christ. And I thank you for the transforming power of forgiving grace and what happens when we forgive others. Now to him who's existed from the very beginning, who took our sins upon himself and gave his body, Jesus the Christ, we break this bread and eat it together. Would you eat with me? Hmm. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord, to you who shed your blood, who spilled out the only innocent blood that ever fell upon the ground on this planet, you, Lord, the sinless Lamb of God, the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy. Your blood that is on the very mercy seat of the altar of heaven. Your blood by which we enter into 
the presence of the awesome almighty God and dare to call you Father. This cup we will drink with you again, Lord Jesus, in the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. So we receive it tonight with gratitude and thanksgiving. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Maranatha, let's drink together.